Okay, guys, welcome to another Jesus Rant. Pastor Tom Carter, we're with the Walls Ministry. This is Season 2, Episode 29, Fall from Grace. And the reason that I'm titling it this way, and the reason that I want to talk about this today, is because I think the term, the idea, the concept of falling from grace is completely and utterly misused and misunderstood. And there's kind of a term, at least in the church that I kind of cut my teeth in, where when there's something like that, something that's kind of been accepted uh, in the religious world or really kind of in the mainstream, the, the secular world, whatever you want to call it, we kind of call that a sacred cow. And Every once in a while, every now and then, I'm choosing now to, sometimes you have to knock over those sacred cows. Sometimes you have to, I'm not trying to preach against anything, you know, it is important what you turn from, but also to me equally, if not more so important what you turn to. So I always try to edify, I always try to build up, I always try to tell what I'm for more so than what I'm against. But in this case, falling from grace is such a, unfortunately, kind of a a widely accepted idea that I think it's very important to knock that sacred cow over and to look at what it really means to fall from grace, because that is a biblical idea, as we're going to see. Uh, The problem is that we misuse it, misinterpret it. And you guys know if you've kind of followed my ministry for any real length of time, I, in a lot of ways, I feel the same way about love. I feel like love has been misinterpreted, misused, twisted, messed up, messed around, which of course means God, because God is love. God has been misinterpreted, misused, misrepresented, messed up, twisted, messed around. And I think it's very important that we understand what some of these terms, ideas, concepts, truths actually mean so that when we want to use them, we can use them correctly. Or when somebody else uses them, we can kind of understand what they mean, but also know what the truth is. And like I would say, when you know the truth, you can ignore the lie. You don't have to fight it. You don't have to try to, uh, you know, get the sin out of the camp or any of those things. You don't have to always tell people what's wrong with them. You can actually go ahead and take the time to tell people what's right with them, which I've been ranting about a lot lately about edifying, building people up and all those things of that nature. I really like all that stuff, but I want to talk about what it means to actually fall from grace because it is possible, like I said, but it seems like the way that most people use that term or that phrase means well, you messed up. You you didn't follow the Ten Commandments. You broke the law. So you've fallen from grace, which is not how it should be used, which is not what it really means. So let me read my first passage of scripture. And really, it says it pretty much right in here. This This is what I want to say in this first passage. But then I have a couple of different memory verses to kind of back that up. One one more big passage, and then I'll close uh, in the book of Romans. 
but I want to open up with Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And it reads, the heading in the New Living Translation reads, Freedom in Christ. And it says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Which to me is exactly the same concept as we see in the book of Romans when Paul wrote uh, something to the effect of um, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the, the gist of it here, the thing of it here is you have been transformed. Don't go back to the world. Don't conform to the world. If you were, okay, it's like how we say we're in the world, but not of the world. If you were of the world already, Paul wouldn't advise us, don't be conformed to the world. If you were of the world, you would already be conformed to the world. We have already been transformed. That happened on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was lifted up from the earth and he drew all men into himself and he planted himself in all men and and, and a shift took place. There was, uh, you know, kind of in our individual lives, uh, in the waters of baptism, there was the death of the old man in the watery grave. And there was an underwater heart circumcision where God said many times in the Old Testament, he said, I will give you one new heart or I will give you a new heart or I will give you my heart and a new spirit. That's what we needed. We needed a heart transplant. We needed the old man to die and be buried so that the new man could rise up and walk forth in newness of life. That's what happened on the cross. That's what happened 2000 years ago. And again, you know, to me, the waters of baptism more than anything else, uh, it's it's a declaration of your faith in what has already happened. It's almost an activation of what already happened in your life. Basically, it's the, the second part of what Paul wrote in that verse where he said, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To me, the transformation has already taken place, but we receive that transformation when we renew our mind, which happens, you know, again, kind of on an individual basis in the waters of baptism, where we let the mind of Christ that's already in us be in us when we start to accept and use and experience all these gifts of God. So again, in verse one of Galatians chapter five, it says, so Christ has truly set us free. Done deal. Already happened. Doesn't need to happen. Already happened. So that's why he says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. All throughout Paul's writings in the New Testament, when he was writing to these churches, he was telling them this great, amazing, wonderful thing happened. Hold on to it. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold to the eternal life that you've already been given. Receive the gift that you've been given. Use the gift that you've been given. Give it away. Share it. Experience it. Don't go back to where you were. Don't go back to uh, slavery. I mean, he says it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And, and catch that. The law of Moses is slavery. It's not freedom. 
it's a it's a very constricting and confining list of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts that tries to put you in a box that you will never fit in. The Bible says in another place, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says in another place that if you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. The law was given to shut up every mouth, to prove every man a sinner, and to show us that we can't do it ourselves and that we need a savior, which was the cross, which was Jesus. So if Jesus set us free from that law, don't go back to it. Don't get tied up in that slavery again. It says in verse two, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Biblically speaking, accurately speaking, the only way to fall from grace is to put yourself back up under the law of Moses. And the reason that that's falling away from grace is because law and grace really are at odds with each other. God doesn't want you to justify yourself by the law. God doesn't want you to, uh, what does he say? Um, He doesn't want you to try to make yourself right with God by keeping the law. Because if you do that, you've been cut off from Christ. If you think you can do it yourself, then you don't need Jesus. And that's the tragedy of it because you need Jesus. We all do. So let me say it another way. John chapter 1 verse 17 in the King James Version says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So again, we see a very clear distinction between the law and grace. And I like here too where it says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law was an external thing. The grace and truth of Jesus are an internal thing. Jesus brought it to us when he brought himself to us, when he drew us into himself and planted himself in us. Moses gave the law and Moses couldn't even keep the law. Moses was not allowed into the promised land. He was allowed to see it, but he wasn't allowed to enter it. Because if Moses, the mediator of that old covenant, the one who gave the law, If he got into the promised land, then that would have shown that you could get in through your own righteousness by the keeping of the law. And Moses didn't keep the law. Moses broke the law too. And that's why God wouldn't let him in. And some people say that that's a harsh punishment, but it's a deeper deal. It's the whole idea of you cannot get into the promised land through the law. The law law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There's another verse in the Old Testament. I didn't look up, but, you know, sometimes the Spirit just drops things on me. And then I kind of grope for them. But it basically is God promising the people uh, of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. He said, I will come down to you and bring you up out of Egypt. God always meets us where we're at. God always brings us what we need. He doesn't just give us commands. He doesn't just give us orders. He brings us the ability to do what he has purposed for us to do. The whole idea of the the new commandment for the new man. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. He doesn't expect us to do anything that he hasn't first done for us, to us, through us, in us, and as us. So if God wants you to love your neighbor really, really big, he first has to love you really, really big. 
And that's what he always does, because that's who he is. So again, we see this uh, very, very distinct sort of, uh, you know, contrast between the law and grace. So if we are free, and we are, and if we, if God has given us his grace, and he has, then the only way to fall from grace is basically to reject the gift of God and try to earn something that you've already been given. And if you've already been given something, you can't earn it. How could you? You can't earn a gift anyway. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be wages. And when the Bible talks about wages, it talks about the wages of sin, which is death. So we're not talking about something you can earn. We're not talking about something you can do yourself. We're not talking about something that Moses gives and then you have to you know, pick up the ball and run with it and try to keep the law as best you can. We're talking about grace and truth, which came by Jesus Christ when he came to us. He met us in the middle of our mess and he turned our mess into a message. He met us in the middle of our trials and tribulations and he turned that into our testimony. So what we see here is there's something greater than the law of Moses and it's grace and truth. The only way to fall from that grace that we've been given, that freedom that we already have, is to put ourselves back up under the law and try to be religious about things and try to follow the law and try to get others to follow the law. And I think that's why Christians give Christians such a bad name a lot of the time, because people look at us as hypocrites. Oh, you expect me to do these things, but you don't even do them. Well, you know, you're right. Life is messy. People make mistakes. That's what grace is for. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, also in the King James Version. It says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. And to me, the important part here is workers together with him, co-laborers with Christ. If grace and truth came by Jesus, if grace and truth are, in fact, Jesus, Jesus said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when he brings something, he brings himself, right? So if we're co-workers together with Christ, then we are receiving his grace. If we're doing it with Jesus, we're doing it the right way. If we're letting him be the grace and truth in our lives, instead of trying to do it ourselves, instead of trying to earn it ourselves, instead of trying to uh, make ourselves right with God by keeping the law, listen, uh, <laughs> Let me just say it like this. You know the old song, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. In reality, anything you can do alone, you can do better with Jesus. And I use myself as an example for this all the time. Uh, I've been a writer all my life. And for a large part of my life, I would write what my grandma not so affectionately called trash, which in my opinion was just good old fashioned fiction you know, uh, detective stories or, or scary stories or, or whatever, whatever was on my mind to write. And I would write those things and usually I would start out strong and, and I wouldn't even bother finishing it. But it wasn't until I really offered up and submitted my talents to the Lord that I started to write books and I started to publish books and I started to share this word that God has placed in me. So my point is, is that when you do something with God as a co-laborer with him or a worker with him, that's when it gets 
real, that's when it gets profitable. That, and I don't mean profits in the in the sense of making money because I haven't made a lot of money with my books. I'm talking about profitable in the in in the in the sense of profiting people, helping people, getting the word out there. That's the whole point of Word Without Walls Ministry is getting the word out there, making it easy and making it accessible to people. I've given away more books than I've sold and I'm not worried about it. Like that's fine with me because if I give you my book and you read my book and you get something out of my book, hooray, I think I've done something good. So my point is, is as workers together with him, we beseech you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't think, well, I'm under God's grace. So that means I can do it myself. No, no, no. Stick with him. No matter what he is grace and truth. Now let's look at James chapter one. I want to read verses 19 through 27. And the heading here again in the new living translation says listening and doing, which I think is important because as J. Joe once said, knowing is half the battle. The other half is doing what you know. So you have to listen and do. You have to apply the things that God is telling you and teaching you. So James chapter 1, starting with verse 19, reads, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. I think this is a lot of quote-unquote Christians' problems is they hear a good word and they get excited about it. And Jesus did a whole parable about this, you know, about uh, sowing seed and and the, the ground that the seed gets planted on. And then, you know, he says, I am the sower. The word or the seed is the word and you guys are the ground. So we need to make sure that we're good ground because I feel like a lot of times you hear a good word, but it doesn't necessarily take root in you. It sounds good. And you're excited about it for a minute, but there's no real change in your life because you don't obey that word. You don't see yourself. And, and, and you know, I've ranted many times and, and preached many times about one of my favorite passages in the Bible talks about looking into the mirror with an unveiled face, with the, the veil, which Moses had to wear when he came down from Mount Sinai with the, with the law. The people couldn't look at him because his face was shining because he'd been face to face with God. When that veil is taken away, when the law is removed from the equation, when you can see into the mirror with an unveiled face, you see the glory of God. And when you see the glory of God in the mirror, which means you see it in yourself because that's what you see in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, you see your reflection. You see yourself. You see who you are. When you look in the mirror and you see the glory of God inside of you, you are then changed into that very image from glory to glory. When you see the glory in you, the glory begins to come out of you. But if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. 
I feel like a lot of times we forget what we look like. We forget who we are and we forget whose we are. We get into the same old patterns, the same old routines, uh, familiar things. Well, this is what happened last time and this is what I did last time. Well, how about maybe try something different? There's always a more excellent way and his name is Jesus. So verse 24 says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 25 says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, which again is Jesus, grace and truth, the, the perfect law of liberty, liberty in Christ, freedom from the slavery, that is the law, right? That's what we saw in Galatians. We have been set free from the slavery of the law. Don't go back to slavery of the law. If you do that, you fall from grace, right? If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Guys, this is so important. Looking into the perfect law that sets you free. Looking into the face of the Almighty God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because Noah knew where to look for grace. It's funny to me that all throughout the Old Testament, the people are so afraid to look at God in the face. They're sure, they are absolutely sure that if they look God in the face, they will die. And there's even a story in the Old Testament of the Bible where God, and and, and again, God meets us where we are, right? Sometimes he'll stretch us. Sometimes, you know, my pastor has been known to say some are called and some are cornered. Uh, God tried very hard to motivate Jonah, for example, to do what God wanted him to do. And really he was dealing with, with the heart issue of Jonah's. But my point is, is there's an old, there's a story in the old Testament of the Bible where God even says, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will put my hand over you so that you will not see my face and you will only see the back side of me. But again, that wasn't because God knew that if you looked him in the face, you would die. That's because that's what the people believed. And God meets us where we're at. So he's like, if you can't handle it, then I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to give you what you need. Way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and all of a sudden, we're not only naked, but we're ashamed of their nakedness. God, who had warned them not to do that, who told them not to do that, who told them what would happen if they do that, he still met them where they were at, helped them clean up their mess, or really cleaned up their mess for them. They had tried to make fig leaves to cover themselves with, which, by the way, is why I think the tree of knowledge of good and evil is a fig tree. And and that goes into when Jesus cursed the fig tree and all that. But I've, I've preached on that before, and I will again, and I'll probably do a whole rant about it. But the point is, they covered themselves with fig leaves, and... God came in and said, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to cover you with animal skin, with lamb skin. He covered them immediately with Jesus. And now because of the cross in the New Testament, in the new covenant, we're not just covered by Jesus. We are 
Jesus. He lives in us. He is our true identity. God in the flesh, love in the body. God in our flesh, love in our body. So when we're looking into this perfect law that sets us free, when we do what that law says and don't forget what we heard, then things start to get real. Then things start to get exciting. Then the power that's within us, which is love, right? God is all powerful. God is love. Love is all powerful. All powerful doesn't mean most powerful. It means all the power. There's no other power besides God. There's no other power besides love. Unfortunately, sometimes we give things power in our lives when we shouldn't. But realistically, on a deeper level, at the end of the day, it's all about love. It's all about God. That's the power. So we have this power inside of us to do these things that God has called us to do. He equips and empowers us to do what he has set out for us to do. And he does that through his word, through his law, through his commandment, the new commandment for the new man. I'm convinced that the the only holy and righteous thing in the whole entire universe is love. If you want to be holy, love people. If you want to be righteous, love people. But the trick is, is you can't do that on your own. You can't give what you don't have. And you can only give what you do have. So you have to first let God love you. You have to first receive his gift before you can release his gift. So the whole idea of falling from grace is not about messing up. The whole idea of falling from grace is not about disobeying one of the commandments. We've all done that. Everybody has. And, and if you think about this, this is this is an important one that I don't, I don't have probably the proper time to really get into, but unless you're Jewish, unless you're a member of the people of Israel, the law of Moses was never given to you in the first place. It was never for the Gentiles. And even when Jesus, you know, came and did his earthwalk ministry and ascended unto heaven and then sent his disciples out to spread the gospel, even then they fought and squabbled over, well, how much of the Jewish law do these new Gentile followers need to follow? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to do this? Do, are they allowed to eat this? Or which, which laws do we have to follow? And the answer is the only law that we have to follow is the perfect law that sets you free. The perfect law of liberty. When you see your face in the mirror, you don't just glance in the mirror and then look away, but you see in the mirror with an unveiled face, you get the law out of the equation. You see Jesus in the mirror and then you let him transform you into who you really are, who you are in Christ, which is who Christ is in you. And you let the Christ in you come out of you. So I want to read Romans chapter eight, verse two to close in the New Living Translation and in the King James Version. First in the NLT it reads, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In the King James Version it reads, For the law of the spirit of life in in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. There's the spirit which gives life, and there's the law of sin and death. If you put yourself back up under the law of sin and death, back up under the slavery of the law, a law that was never given to you in the first place, that's how you fall from grace. But because we belong to him, 
The power of his life-giving spirit has freed us from all that. Sin and death has no power over us. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Jesus died and rose again to prove that death is not the end. And if you think about it, how could everlasting life have an end? How could eternal life have an end? When Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am the beginning and the end, he, he, you know, you have to understand what he was talking about. He was talking about the end of the old covenant, the end of that time, the end of that age. And he brought us into a new time, a new age, a new covenant. He brought us out of the world, the end of the world, and into the kingdom. So now all of those old things don't apply to us anymore. We're a new creation in Christ. We're a new creature and all things are become new, which means have become new, are becoming new, and will become new. And the new thing is truth and grace. The new thing is life. The new thing is liberty. Slavery is over. The people of Israel were slaves for 400 and some odd years. And then Moses brought them out. But again, Moses couldn't bring them into the promised land because of the law, with the law, through the law. The law cannot get you there. And if you trust in the law to get you there, you've fallen from grace. That's what it means to fall from grace. A fall from grace is not a Christian making a mistake or having a bad day or doing something he shouldn't. That's not a fall from grace. That's why you need grace. You need grace in times of need. You need grace to help you through those mistakes you make or those bad days you have. You need grace to remind you that no matter what you do, no matter what the day is, no matter who you are, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Always. That's your identity. That's not what you do. That's who you are. And when you know who you are, what you do will flow from that place of identity. So we need to change our way of thinking about what it means to fall from grace, and we need to stop putting ourselves up under the law of Moses. That's what I have for this week. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Okay, well, if you enjoyed that, I want to invite you to check out my website, jesusrant.com. You can get my daily rants on there. You can uh, get the my books that are written on there. They're also on Amazon. I have an author's page on Amazon. Um, I've written a lot of books. I'm pretty proud of them. You can order them. I try to keep them cheap because I don't like to pay a lot of money for books and I don't think people should have to pay a lot of money for mine. So check that out. Um, if you want to support the podcast itself, you can find it on anchor.fm. If you just search for Jesus Rant, um, you can support it monetarily. You can support it by, uh, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it. And you can, you can support it, excuse me, by word of mouth, by telling people about it, uh, helping other people listen, find it and listen to it. And uh, thank you once again, as always, for spending your time to listen to it, to, uh, to help me to get the word out, which, you know, as we know by now is, is my heart, is just getting this word out, Word Without Walls Ministry. Um, so just thank you for your support. I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Amen.